0: Chapter Twenty-One of A House Divided Against Itself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A House Divided Against Itself by Margaret O. Oliphant. Chapter Twenty-One. Frances remembered little of the journey after it was over, though she was keenly conscious of everything at the time if there can be any keen consciousness of a thing which is all vague which conveys no clear idea through the darkness of the night which came on before she had left the coast she knew with all those familiar towns gleaming out as she passed mentone monaco on its headland the sheltering bays which keep so warm and bright those cities of sickness of idleness and pleasure the palms the olives the oranges the aloe hedges the roses and heliotropes there was a confused and breathless sweep of distance half in the dark half in the light the monotonous plains the lines of poplars the straight high roads of france paris where they stayed for a night was only like a bigger noisier vast railway station to francis she had no time in the hurry of her journey in the still greater hurry of her thoughts to realize that here was the scene of that dread revolution of which she had read with shuddering excitement that she was driven past the spot where the guillotine was first set up and through the streets where the tumbrils had rolled carrying to that dread death the many tender victims who were all she knew of that great convulsion of history markham who was so good to her put his head out of the carriage and pointed to a series of great windows flashing with light what a pity there's no time he said she asked for what with the most complete want of comprehension for shopping of course he said with a laugh for shopping she seemed to be unacquainted with the meaning of the words in the midst of this strange wave of the unknown which was carrying her away carrying her to a world more unknown still to suppose that she could pause and think of shopping. The inappropriateness of the suggestion bewildered Frances. Markham, indeed, altogether bewildered her. He was very good to her, attending to her comfort, watchful over her needs in a way which she could not have imagined possible. Her father had never been unkind, but it did not occur to him to take care of her. It was she who took care of him. If there was anything forgotten, it was she who got the blame and when he wanted a book, or his writing-desk, or a rug to put over his knees, he called to his little girl to hand it to him, without the faintest conception that there was anything incongruous in it. And there was nothing incongruous in it. If there is any one in the world whom it is natural to send on your errands, to get you what you want, surely your child is that person. Waring did not think on the subject, but simply did so by instinct, by nature." And equally by instinct, Frances obeyed, without a doubt, that it was her simplest duty. If Markham had said, Get me my book, Frances, dear child, just open that bag, hand me so-and-so, she would have considered it the most natural thing in the world. What he did do surprised her much more. He tripped in and out of his seat at her smallest suggestion. He pulled up and down the window at her pleasure, never appearing to think that it mattered whether he liked it or not he took her out carefully on his arm and made her dine not asking what she would have as her father might perhaps have done but bringing her the best that was to be had choosing what she should eat serving her as if she had been the queen it contributed to the dizzying effect of the rapid journey that she should thus have been placed in a position so different from any that she had ever known and then there came the last stage the strange leaden gray stormy sea which was so unlike those blue ripples that came up just so far, no farther, on the beach at Bordighera, She began to understand what is said in the Bible about the waves that mount up like mountains when she saw the roll of the channel. She had always a little wondered what that meant. To be sure, there were storms now and then along the Riviera when the blue edge to the sea mantle disappeared and all became a deep, purple solemn enough for a king's pall as it had been the pall of so many a brave man but even that was never like the dangerous threatening lash of the waves along those rocks and the way in which they raised their awful heads and was that england white with a faint line of green so sodden and damp as it looked rising out of the sea the heart of frances sank it was not like her anticipations she had thought there would be something triumphant grand about the aspect of england something proud like a monarch of the sea and it was only a damp grayish-white line rising not very far out of those sullen waves an east wind was blowing with that blighting grayness which here in the uttermost parts of the earth we are so well used to and it was cold a gleam of pale sun indeed shot out of the clouds from time to time but there was no real warmth in it and the effect of everything was depressing the green fields and hedgerows cheered her a little but it was all damp and the sky was grey and then came london with a roar and noise as if they had fallen into a den of wild beasts and throngs multitudes of people at every little station which the quick train flashed past and on the platform where at last she arrived dizzy and faint with fatigue and wonderment but markham always was more kind than words could say he sympathized with her seeing her forlorn looks at everything he did not ask her how she liked it what she thought of her native country when they arrived at last he found out miraculously among the crowd of carriages a quiet little dark-colored brougham and put her into it we'll trundle off home he said you and i fan and let john look after the things you are so tired you can scarcely speak "'Not so much tired,' said Francis, and tried to smile, but could not say any more. "'I understand.' He took her hand into his with the kindest, caressing touch. "'You mustn't be frightened, my dear. There's nothing to be frightened about. You'll like my mother. Perhaps it was silly for me to say that and make you cry. Don't cry, Fan, or I shall cry too. I am the foolishest little beggar you know, and always do what my companions do. Don't make a fool of your old brother, my dear.' There, look out and see what a beastly place Old London is, Fan. Don't call me Fan, she cried, the slight irritation affording her an excuse for disburdening herself of some of the nervous excitement in her. Call me Francis Markham. Life's too short for a name in two syllables. I've got two syllables myself, that's true. But many fellows call me Mark, and you are welcome to if you like. No, I shall call you Fan. You must make up your mind to it. "'Did you ever see such murky, heavy air? "'It isn't air at all. "'It's smoke and animalcule "'and everything that's dreadful. "'It's not like that blue stuff on the Riviera, is it?' "'Oh, no,' cried Frances with fervor. "'But I suppose London is better for some things,' "'she added with a doubtful voice. "'Better? "'It's better than any other place on the face of the earth. "'It's the only place to live in,' said Markham. "'Why, child, it is paradise,' he paused a moment and then added, with pandemonium next door. Markham, the girl cried. I was wrong to mention such a place in your hearing. I know I was. Never mind, Fan. You shall see the one, and you shall know nothing about the other. Why, here we are in Eaton Square. The door flashed open as soon as the carriage stopped, letting out a flood of light and warmth. Markham almost lifted the trembling girl out. She had got her veil entangled about her head, her arms in the cloak, which she had half thrown off she was not prepared for this abrupt arrival she seemed to see nothing but the light to know nothing until she found herself suddenly in someone's arms then the light seemed to go out of her eyes sight had nothing to do with the sensation the warmth the softness the faint rustle the faint perfume with which she was suddenly encircled and for a few moments she knew nothing more dear dear markham i hope she is not delicate i hope she is not given to fainting she heard in a disturbed but pleasant voice before she felt able to open her eyes not a bit said markham's familiar tones she's overdone and awfully anxious about meeting you my poor dear why should she be anxious about meeting me said the other voice a voice round and soft with a plaintive tone in it and then there came the touch of a pair of lips soft and caressing like the voice upon the girl's cheek she did not yet open her eyes half because she could not half because she would not but whispered in a faint little tentative utterance mother wondering vaguely whether the atmosphere round her the kiss the voice was all the mother she was to know my poor little baby my little girl open your eyes markham i want to see the colour of her eyes as if i could open her eyes for you cried markham with a strange outburst of sound which, if he had been a woman, might have meant crying, but must have been some sort of a laugh since he was a man, he seemed to walk away and then come back again. Come, fan, that's enough. Open your eyes and look at us. I told you there was nothing to be frightened for. And then Frances raised herself, for, to her astonishment, she was lying down upon a sofa, and looked around her, bewildered. Beside her stood a little lady about her own height, with smooth brown hair like hers with her hands clasped just as frances was aware she had herself a custom of clasping her hands it began to dawn upon her that constance had said she was very like mamma this newcomer was beautifully dressed in soft black satin that did not rustle that was far far too harsh a word but swept softly about her with the faintest pleasant sound and round her breathed that atmosphere which frances felt would mean mother to her forever ever and ever an air that was infinitely soft with a touch in it of some sweetness oh not scent she rejected the word with disdain something nothing the atmosphere of a mother in the curious ecstasy in which she was made up of fatigue wonder and the excitement of this astounding plunge into the unknown that was how she felt let me look at you my child i can't think of her as a grown girl markham don't you know she is my baby she has never grown up like the rest of you to me oh did you ever wish for me little francis did you ever want your mother my darling often often i have lain awake in the night and cried for you oh mamma cried frances forgetting her shyness throwing herself into her mother's arms the temptation to tell her that she had never known anything about her mother to excuse herself at her father's expense was strong but she kept back the words that were at her lips i have always wanted this all my life she cried with a sudden impulse and laid her head upon her mother's breast feeling in all the commotion and melting of her heart a consciousness of the accessories the rich softness of the satin the delicate perfume all the details of the new personality by which her own was surrounded on every side now i see cried the new-found mother it was no use parting this child and me markham it is all the same between us isn't it my darling as if we had always been together all the same in a moment come upstairs now if you feel able dear one do you think markham she is able to walk upstairs oh quite able oh quite quite well it was only for a moment i was frightened i think but you will never be frightened any more said lady markham drawing the girl's arm through her own leading her away frances was giddy still and stumbled as she went though she had pledged herself never to be frightened again she went in a dream up the softly carpeted stairs she knew what handsome rooms were the lofty bare grandeur of an italian palazzo but all this carpeting and cushioning the softness the warmth the clothed and comfortable look bewildered her she could scarcely find her way through the drawing-room crowded with costly furniture to the blazing fire by the side of which stood the tea-table like and yet how unlike that anxious copy of English Ways which Frances had set up in the loggia. She was conscious, with a momentary gleam of complacency, that her cups and saucers were better, though, not belonging to an ordinary modern set like these, but, alas, in everything else, how far short! Then she was taken upstairs, though, as she thought, the sumptuous arrangement of her mother's room, to another smaller, which opened from it, and in which there was the same wealth of carpets curtains easy-chairs and writing-tables in addition to the necessary details of a sleeping-room frances looked round it admiringly she knew nothing about the modern artistic though something a very little about old art the painted ceilings and old gilding of the palazzo which she began secretly and obstinately to call home from this moment forth were intelligible to her but she was quite unacquainted with mr morris's papers and the art fabrics from liberties she looked at them with admiration but doubt she thought the walls killed the pictures that were hung round which were not like her own little gallery at home which she had left with a little pang to her sister is this constance's room she asked timidly called back to a recollection of constance and wondering whether the transfer was to be complete no my love it is francis's room said lady markham it has always been ready for you i expected you to come some time i have always hoped that but i never thought that con would desert me her voice faltered a little which instantly touched francis's heart i asked she said not just out of curiosity but because when she came to us i gave her my room our rooms are not like these they have very few things in them there are no carpets it is warmer there you know but i thought she would find the blue room so bare i gave her mine lady markham smiled upon her and said but with a faint the very faintest indication of being less interested than francis was you have not many visitors i suppose Oh, none, cried Francis, I suppose we are rather poor. We are not like this. My darling, you don't know how to speak to me, your own mother. What do you mean, dear, by we? You must learn to mean something else by we. Your father, if he had chosen, might have had all that you see and more. And Constance, but we will say nothing more tonight on that subject. This is Con's room, see, on the other side of mine. It was always my fancy, my hope, sometime to have my two girls, one on each side. Frances followed her mother to the room on the other side, with great interest. It was still more luxurious than the one appropriated to herself, more comfortable, as a room which has been occupied, which shows traces of its tenants, tastes, and likings, must naturally be. And it was brighter, occupying the front of the house, while that of Frances's looked to the side, she glanced round at all the fittings and decorations which to her unaccustomed eyes were so splendid poor constance she said under her breath why do you say poor constance said lady markham with something sharp and sudden in her tone and then she too said regretfully poor con you think it will be disappointing to her this other life which she has chosen was it dreary for you my poor child then there rose up in the tranquil mind of Frances a kind of tempest blast of opposition and resentment it is the only life i know it was everything i liked best she cried the first part of the sentence was very firmly almost aggressively said in the second she wavered hesitated changed the tense it was she did not quite know herself what the change meant lady markham looked at her with a penetrating gaze it was everything you knew, my little Frances. I understand you, my dear. You will not be disloyal to the past, but to Constance, who does not know it, who knows something else. Poor Con. I understand, but she will have to pay for her experience, like all the rest. Frances had been profoundly agitated, but in the way of happiness, she did not feel happy now. She felt disposed to cry, not because of the relief of tears but because she did not know how else to express the sense of contrariety of disturbance that had got into her mind. Was it that already a wrong note had sounded between herself and this unknown mother, whom it had been a rapture to see and touch? Or was it only that she was tired? Lady Markham saw the condition into which her nerves and temper were strained. She took her back tenderly into her room. My dear, she said, if you would rather not, "'Don't change your dress. Do just as you please tonight. I would stay and help you, or I would send Josephine, my maid, to help you. But I think you will prefer to be left alone and quiet.' "'Oh, yes,' Frances cried with fervor. Then she added hastily, "'If you do not think me disagreeable to say so, I am not prepared to think anything in you disagreeable, my dear,' said her mother, kissing her, but with a sigh." this sigh frances echoed in a burst of tears when the door was closed and she found herself alone alone quite alone more so than she had ever been in her life she whispered to herself in the shock of the unreasonable and altogether fantastic disappointment which had followed her ecstasy of pleasure most likely it meant nothing at all but the reaction from that too highly raised level of feeling no i am not disappointed lady markham was saying downstairs she was standing before the genial blaze of the fire, looking into it with her head bent and a serious expression on her face. Perhaps I was too much delighted for a moment, but she, poor child, now that she has looked at me a second time, she is a little, just a little disappointed in me. That's rather hard for a mother, you know, or I suppose you don't know. "'I never was a mother,' said Markham. "'I should think it's very natural.' the little thing has been forming the most romantic ideas if you had been an angel from heaven which i am not she said with a smile still looking into the fire heaven be praised said markham in that case you would not have suited me which you do mammy you know down to the ground she gave a half glance at him a half smile but did not disturb the chain of her reflections that's something markham she said yes it's something on my side it's a great deal don't go too fast with little fan she has a deal in her have a little patience and let her settle down her own way i don't feel sure that she has not got her father's temper i saw something like it in her eyes that is nonsense begging your pardon she has got nothing of her father in her eyes her eyes are like yours and so is everything about her my dear mother cons like wearing if you like this one is of our side of the house do you really think so Lady Markham looked up now and laid her hand affectionately upon his shoulder and laughed. But, my dear boy, you are as like the Markhams as you can look. On my side of the house there is nobody at all, unless, as you say, Francis, said the little man, I told you, the best of the lot. I took to her in a moment by that very token. Therefore, don't go too fast with her, mother. She has her own notions. She is as staunch as a little turk said markham using the first word that offered when he met his mother's eye he retired a little with the air of a man who does not mean to be questioned which naturally stimulated curiosity in her mind how have you found out that she is staunch markham oh in a half dozen ways he answered carelessly and she will stick to her father through thick and thin so mind what you say then lady markham began to bemoan herself a little gently before the fire in the most luxurious of easy chairs was ever a woman in such a position she said to be making acquaintance for the first time at eighteen with my own daughter and to have to pick my words and to be careful what i say well mammy said markham it might have been worse let us make the best of it he has always kept his word which is something and has never annoyed you and it is quite a nice thing for Con to have him to go to, to find out how dull it is, and know her own mind. And now we've got the other one, too. Lady Markham still rocked herself a little in her chair, and put her handkerchief to her eyes. For all that, it is very hard, both on her and me, she said. End of chapter 21 Recording by Cat Andrews